This is Australian Strategies. I'm Colin Chuck. The Australian government didn't have much to shout about in 2015, apart from a substantial increase in the numbers of jobs created, sufficient to bring the unemployment rate down to 5.8%, despite an influx of migrants and a rise in population. Arguably the biggest achievement, and job creator, was the signing of a free trade agreement with three Asian countries, China, Japan and South Korea. The successful negotiator, the somewhat unsung Andrew Robb, also played a major part in the conclusion of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which embraces 40% of world trade. The TPP, as it's better known, is still to be ratified by lawmakers, including the US Congress. In Australia, the beneficiaries are likely to be agriculture, tourism, financial services and the health sector. Virginia Rigoni is a leading player in the health sector. She runs her own worldwide consultancy, and in recent days she's been on and off planes to Tokyo, Hong Kong and elsewhere. Virginia, thanks for taking the time to chat to Australian Strategies. Tell us first how you see the opportunities for Australia in the Asian health sectors. Thanks, Colin. I think with China moving away, I think, from being reliant only on manufacturing to probably focusing more on services and product and engaging more regionally, I think the opportunities exist across the services arena, particularly in managing and owning facilities across the healthcare landscape. Just let me interrupt you there. I can see us managing facilities in China, but owning them, that's not that easy, is it? Well, I think um, with the new policy that's being introduced, yes, I think it will become easier for Australian companies to own and manage hospitals. And and I, I believe that's what the government, the Chinese government, is seeking, more investment into owning and operating hospitals, which will, of course, give our healthcare organisations uh, a very new and terrific opportunity to be able to increase their capacity and increase their presence across the region. Right. Sorry to interrupt your train of thought. You were going to list other opportunities. Yeah, I think in training in education and skills advancement, areas that Australia has had some very good experience in and has expertise in. So I think uh, in that capacity, we're highly regarded, I think, globally for our health delivery. So enabling the delivery of workforce talent, I think, will be in both a physical as well as a virtual capacity will be exciting for Australian companies to see the opportunities arise. I think also if we look at in recent days, there's been an increase in in air pollution across China. Unfortunately, this has affected productivity, as as I've read anyway, productivity of many organisations. And uh, certainly I've had contacts who have emailed me telling me that they've been unable to attend to their normal duties at work, given the air quality. And I think this will present a terrific opportunity for online engagement of for, for new workforce arrangements and new workforce models, which I think will start to see increase. Okay, that's China. What about the world's number three economy, Japan, which suffers from an ageing problem, and the rest of the region too? Do these countries have opportunities for us? I think so. I think so. I think... What we see in Japan with the ageing of the population, I think there's an enormous opportunity to engage more experienced talent 
via an online network and I'm excited that I think the the government is also looking to start to introduce new policies that will enable more offshore and more international exposure. Australian Strategies is talking to Virginia Rigoni, a health sector leader in Australia, about the opportunities opening up in North Asia as a result of free trade agreements. Virginia, you started off as a recruitment specialist and you're now a top headhunter. What are the opportunities for consultants in Asia, all types of consultants in design and so on? Yes, you raised some good good points there in terms of the design and architecture. I think uh, we have some very good experience and some very good track record um, and a very good track record in, uh, in designing new and contemporary and multi-layered facilities that really engage the community. So I'm excited that architecture will be one of those, I'm sure. Design and also engaging in projects like PPP, the public-private partnerships, which Australia is well known for. That's another area. So I think design, architecture, I think also how services are delivered and purchased and the consumer engagement that we've seen in the, in the past certainly, I think, will start to, to rise with that in, in consumer engagement. In what way, precisely? I think the consumer having more of a say in their own healthcare and, and, and what happens in the hospital and what is provided to them will be an exciting thing to watch. And I think Australia is at the forefront in creating change in that regard and enabling services that are very, very well tailored to the consumer. So we're already seeing a whole range of very consumer-centric and patient-centric outcomes from electronic records and digital health conversations and dialogue to those that are starting to really affect and see effect in hospital design. What about making things? Does Australia have an opportunity for manufacturing in Asia? Well, I think Australia has a good track record in manufacturing medical devices and medical devices, I think, will start to take shape in various forms as we see technology influencing care and and mobile care. So yes, I think Australia is well placed to contribute and to continue with design and manufacturing new product, whether it be in devices, also in biotechnology. in medical research, we can continue in medical research, but in manufacturing, I think, you know, we've seen organisations like Cochlear, like ResMed, provide some fantastic concepts as well as product. But I think new product will be something that we can continue to, to work on and that, that will take various forms. So I want to ask you, does getting experience overseas help people when they want to come back and work in Australia? I'm a firm believer that overseas experience provides new and different cultural observations and experiences for the returning candidate. I think in in turn an overseas appointment, what it what it brings is much broader perspective. It also brings enriching experiences to the individual and their family. So there's often an excitement if they go with a family that comes with learning. So there's a lot of learning that takes place in a relatively short period of time. So if you're lucky lucky enough to have an opportunity to work overseas, even for just 12 months, it could be a turning point in your career, even if you don't think so right then. Candidates who are developing 
later on through their career will look back and think what a fabulous opportunity it was to develop my skills quickly and to develop new cultural sensitivities, which is often something that uh, arises as well. The Turnbull government recently published its innovation strategy. Do you think there's an opportunity for Australian innovators in the Asian region? I'd like to think so. I think innovation is something that uh, we see around us every day and sometimes it is small innovation, sometimes it's larger innovation, but I think the region presents opportunity for innovators to particularly those who are experienced in their field and who know who, who know an environment well, but who can also reflect on experiences and engage with local providers but also look at new opportunities. So innovation, I think, will be something that we'll be looking for from Australia, but also internally, when I think about innovation, I think about something that's new, something that's, new, something that's different, something that's exciting, that can be engaging and that can be utilised by many. Are Japanese, Chinese, Koreans open to ideas from outside in the health sector? I think increasingly, there is a, a, a much more openness about and receptiveness about their their view on seeking collaboration and seeking new opportunities and innovation from overseas. So looking more globally for opportunities to innovate is something that I think they're all doing right now. And I don't think there's a, a view uh, that exists right now from any of those environments and, and governments that is we're only looking uh, within. That may have been in, in, in the past, but I think at the present time and into the future, we'll see a different approach to innovation and to collaborating with experts from around the world. But Australia faces a lot of competition. Where does the main competition come from? Well, I think in, in healthcare, I think Australia's uh, well known in healthcare for excellent healthcare training and our medical training in particular, and our health and allied health and nursing uh, staff and quality of delivery. In, in terms of management of hospitals and ownership of hospitals in across the region in particular, I think the United States has had a, a leading role in the past in being able to develop hospital centres of excellence in the region because they've had opportunity to do so, not just in the region but also in other parts of the world. So you see different training and centres of excellence that have um, developed. So I think the US is a competitor always. But I think the rest of the world is also because we need to start to think about our place in the world and how we can also lead and what we need to do to be leading in, in delivery in healthcare and continuing to deliver in a leadership capacity. Are there things that are holding us back? Handicaps? I don't think so. I think with, with Australian companies now, there's an appreciation that we, we need to start to think more globally about our workforce and about what we need to do to achieve in an international environment. In the past, we may have had handicaps in terms of cultural ones and language, but I think languages, as we are increasingly seeing, and workforce, I think we're starting to address those as, uh, as a country and as organisations seeking to build talent and manage talent across the region. Languages. Languages continues to be a challenge 
So I think uh, if you look at primary schooling, I think, you know, Mandarin is being taught, Japanese is being taught, Mandarin, of course, Spanish and English will be the key languages that we will see into the future, into the long-term future. So they are the particularly the languages that we need to focus on and to continue to develop strengths in. Before I let you go, I know you have a plane to catch. Do you travel much? Well, in, in the last few few months, certainly I've, I've uh, had to because I have had key uh, contacts, key key opportunities to visit and to engage in and uh, with the incorporation of VR consulting in Hong Kong the uh, in recent times there's been a need also to visit the region visit Hong Kong I visited Japan a week ago um, I was in Tokyo last week and uh, revisiting and I will be back again uh, hopefully in the not too uh, distant future and Hong Kong again in January. Virginia thank you very much. That was Virginia Rigoni, Managing Director of VR Consulting and someone to watch in the years ahead. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Australian Strategies. Until the next time, goodbye. <laughs>